Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you guys again. Here we are, middle of the summer. I'm grinding along, guys. I'm telling you what, I'm trying to keep my head above water. Um, you know, if it wasn't for you guys, I wouldn't be putting out podcasts every couple of weeks this time of year. I'd have shut her down a long time ago, but Eastman's told me, hey, dude, people are listening. People want to listen to this stuff. And I'm like, well, it's summertime. Who cares about coyote hunting? But I guess supposedly some of you guys are in tractors going on road trips and you guys are needing some entertainment. So here we are. I'm still cranking them out for you guys. Um, so, you know, meanwhile, I'm over here trying to keep my head afloat between all the baseball and my lawn care business and, uh, you know, dodging thunderstorms and tornadoes and hail and everything else that's going on right now. But, uh, but we're making it work. So I appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, you know, if you're like me, you're probably not real excited about coyote hunting yet. It's always there on the back of your mind. Maybe you're the type of guy that's out killing them with the decoy dogs right now. Maybe you're still out thermal hunting. If so, that's great. But uh, like I said, it's still a ways out for me. But uh figured it'd be a good time to talk a little bit about gear. Um, you know, summertime, we all kind of start, have time to, we're all reminiscing and all thinking about the upcoming season. Um, hey, maybe what what do I need to upgrade on this? Or I've been thinking about this. Do I need to pull the trigger on it? Well, now's a good time to do it because a you can get it, and um, you know you have time to 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 spend with it, familiarize yourself with it, and then b you have time to practice with it now, right? Um, you know, I usually don't get out to the rifle range till you know September, or so I'm pretty bad at that. Um, you know, my rifles get put away and stuff like that. But with any of this stuff, practice is important. Whether you're talking about uh, getting familiar with an e-call remote, getting familiar with your shooting stick system, bipod system, your rifle, uh, your new thermal scope. I mean, whatever it is, uh, we got to get out there and practice. So this is a good time to do that. So I thought I'd take it, take time. I get tons and tons of questions on all this equipment stuff and, uh, figure this would be a good time to, to walk through some of this, give you guys a little bit more detailed explanations of some of the stuff I'm using, why I'm using it. Uh, some of the other stuff I've used over the years and why I'm using what I'm using now. Um, and everything that, uh, that has to do with that. So, but before we get going, I need to thank the sponsors of, of this episode, which are Onyx Hunt and Swagger Bipod. Now, with Onyx, you know, haven't been doing much on there. You know, the crazy thing about Onyx is here's, it is baseball season. So my my oldest boy, you know, we travel around and play at a lot of these different baseball complexes. And he's always worried about, or always not really worried, but always wondering about how far the fences are going to be, right? So does he have a chance to hit home runs? Is it going to be a 300 of a fence? Is it 350? You know, he's 14 you now. So we're playing on a little bit bigger fields. So the crazy thing about on X is that's how I get on there and figure out how far the fences are. Right. I pull up the map. I search, go to the little search box. I type in the, the complex here. It comes up and I use the line distance tool on there and I'll zoom way in and you can see the home plate from the aerial view and I'll drop a pin there. I'll zoom out to left field. I'll drop a pin right on the fence and it'll, it'll give me in meters you know, how far the fence is. Um, so that's kind of a cool little thing. I, you know, not really a hunting application. Uh, never thought I'd be using Onyx on, from a baseball side of things, but, uh, Hey, that's how I'm using it, man. So then I can tell him, uh, yeah, right, man, this fence is like 350. You might as well just work on base hits or, Hey, it's 300. You might have a chance this weekend. And actually this weekend where we're going down to Denver, um, it's a back to a 300 foot fence. So just because we looked last night on Onyx, um, but, uh, Hey, if you're not an Onyx member, I, I can't believe if you're not at this point, um, such a, such a huge tool, you know, you can go to the Onyx hunt app. Uh, you know, you can look at your state 
you know, get the membership by the by the state. You can get the the elite membership, which gives you everything. I mean, for I don't know, hundred bucks a year. I mean, to me, that's a steal. That's the amount of money we're spending on everything else, and what a huge advantage it is to have Onyx and lineup landowners. Um, hopefully, you're on it. But uh, um, one of these days, I'm going to get those Onyx guys on here. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the features. Um, you know, I talk about that in my class a lot on how I use Onyx and, and using pins and outlining um, areas where I hunt so I can find stuff fast. Um, when, when the wheels are turning, I'm trying to find one more stand at the end of the day or something like that. Um, huge tool there. So, um, if you're not jump on, you can download the Onyx hunt app and, uh, you can see all that it has to offer. Now, second sponsor today, Swagger Bipods. I talked about this being a, you know, midsummer, you know, podcast. We're talking about gear. This is the time. If, if you haven't jumped over to a, a Swagger yet, maybe it's 142. Maybe you want to use the QD42 like Rick uses. You see that in the last stand videos. Whatever it is, now is the time to get that. Get it put on your rifle and get out to the range over the next two or three months and start shooting it. Start familiarizing yourself with that. Um, you know, you jump onto the swaggerbipods.com website. Use my promo code CoyoteCraze25. That'll give you 25% off. You pick you up one of those camo 142s. That's my favorite. Um, you slap that baby on there. Um, you know, maybe if you have an AR, if you got a Picatinny rail or a, a M-Lock, you got to buy the adapter, but it'll suck right up on there nice and tight. You get out to the range, you start shooting it, you start getting familiar with it, and I guarantee you, you'll put more more bullets and coyotes this winter. But it takes some takes some time of getting used to it. it takes time of using it um, and, and getting familiar with it. So jump on out there, um, get get something put on your rifle. You know, hopefully you're not shooting off your knee. You know, I do still see some guys out there like that that uh, just prop it up on their own knee and say hey, that's good enough. But hopefully you're using some sort of of bipod system, tripod system. Because, you know, things happen fast. You're only going to get one good crack at that coyote usually. we got to make that shot count. So, um, like I said, if you are on the market looking for, for a new bipod system this upcoming season, head on over to SwaggerBipods.com. Throw in promo code CoyoteCraze25 and pick yourself up one of those 142s in camo. You'll be all set for the season. Well, guys, let's jump right into this. Like I mentioned, this is going to be kind of a solo Q&A. Um, you know, if I look back through all my social media platforms, Instagram messenger, Facebook messenger emails, I've gotten probably 50, 60% of the questions I get are based around equipment. You know, guys wanting to know what am I using? Why am I using it? What have I used in the past? Um, what are the differences between this and that? Um, so, you know, obviously over the last 20, 25 years, I've used a lot of different stuff. Uh, I've tried a lot of different stuff. Um, so, you know, I have a little bit of a background in, in, you know, what works, what doesn't, you know, what do I use? Why do I use it? Um, so that's what this one's going to be based around. You know, we're, we're mid summer. I think a lot of guys are, you know, maybe just now starting to get, uh, the itch to start thinking about this stuff. This is when a lot of guys I think do go out and, uh, you know, buy some new stuff and then, you know, plan on, you know, using it here over the next couple months in preparation for, you know, the fall coyote season coming up. So, uh, the first question we're going to talk about deals with suppressors. And the question is, how much of an advantage is it to use a suppressor? And then what suppressor am I going to be using this upcoming season? So, you know, suppressors in general, huge game changer. Um, you know, I bought my first suppressor back in 2008. I've talked about that before. You know, of my circle of friends, you know, we all have our circle of hunting buddies and things like that. I was the very first one to have it. And at the time, a lot of guys, 
you know, like, oh, man, why are you doing that? Why are you spending that extra money? Why do you want to sit around and wait? You know, back in 2008, it was like a four-month wait um, compared to, you know, what, 9, 10, 12 months now, whatever the wait is. But, um, you know, I, I got a lot of funny-looking faces at the time. And once I got it and started shooting with it, you know, fast forward 10 years, there's not a friend in my hunting circle that does not have a suppressor. That alone should tell you you need to get a suppressor if you don't have one. Now, you know, I've, I've been around hundreds of different suppressors just with that, with what I do with guiding coyote hunts, hunting around other buddies, uh, coyote classes, um, guys show up suppressed, but I mean, I've seen about every manufacturer out there, you know, 22 cows, 30 cows, uh, different materials that these suppressors are made of. I've seen it all. And, um, you know, the biggest advantage to shooting suppressed, in my opinion, you know, let's throw the noise reduction out of it, right? Because we know that the suppressor is going to knock the audible noise down, okay? That's an advantage that everybody thinks about. But the biggest second advantage that I don't think a lot of people think about is the recoil reduction. Um, you know, I don't know. I've never seen an actual percentage on there, but I would guess that a suppressor is going to reduce the recoil on your rifle probably upwards of 75%. Um, you know, so therefore you put a suppressor on a 223, which doesn't have much recoil to begin with. Now it's like pulling the trigger on a 22 long rifle. You put a suppressor on a 300 wind mag. Now it's like pulling the trigger on an unsuppressed 243. Um, now the advantage to this is bullets on target. Any gun you take, if you take a handful of shooters and you take a, and you give them a 22 long rifle unsuppressed and a 300 wind mag unsuppressed, most shooters will shoot the 22 long rifle better, meaning more consistent, tighter groups than that 300 wind mag because of the recoil. You know, it's very easy to flinch, um, pull the trigger, anticipating that recoil on a bigger caliber gun, um, and and therefore you just won't, you know, you won't get a smooth, you know, crisp break on the trigger like you do on some of those smaller caliber rifles uh, where you have, less recoil so that's a huge advantage of a suppressor is the recoil reduction you know all my all my boys shot their first coyotes when they were five years old uh, with a 223 and the only way that was possible is because it was suppressed so for them it was like pulling the trigger on a like i said a, a 22 long rifle but i was able to use a little bit bigger caliber so if they didn't hit the coyote just perfect you know we still had a chance to to get that coyote so recoil reduction is a huge part of that um and you're going to shoot you know, you're going to shoot your rifles better. Now, the sound reduction is is always something, you know, on if you get onto a manufacturer's website, they'll probably show you uh, some sort of decibel reading. The thing you have to, you know, think about there is everybody is doing their own independent testing, right? And these decibel readers are all different. So I wouldn't go so much off of that. Just know that, at least in my experience, being around hundreds of different suppressors, from my natural hearing... I've never really been able to ever tell a difference. Um, I've never been able to tell the difference shooting a 30 cal suppressor on a, a 223 um, versus shooting a 22 caliber suppressor on a 223. Some people think, oh, you're going to, you're losing more air at the end. So it's going to be a little bit louder shooting a 30 cal suppressor on a, on a 22 caliber rifle because of the, the holes bigger coming out of the, the end of the suppressor. I don't know. I haven't, I can't tell the difference. Um, and that's what I've always done, right? I've always shot a 30 cal suppressor on pretty much all of my rifles. 
just because it's a one size fits all. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, so when you when you're talking about the the decibel stuff, just know that it's going to be way more advantageous than nothing at all. You know what you get. Um, when I first got the suppressor, I was very curious back in like 2008. So what I did is when I was at the rifle range, I had my dad stay on the bench and I walked down to the hundred yard target and I walked off to the side about 10 yards and I said, Hey, go ahead and shoot. Right. And boom. And you know, he shot with the suppressor and what I instantly noticed, I could still hear the snap of the bullet, right? I could hear the, the, the sonic crack of the bullet. I could hear the bullet going through the board on the target, but the, the main noise actually sounded like it was coming from behind me, not out in front of me where the actual muzzle was. So I did that. I walked out to 200 yards. You know, the noise got, was dampened a little bit. You still, you heard the crack of the bullet, the bullet snapping through the, the wood. I did that all the way out to 300 yards. And every time it sounded like a majority of the noise was actually coming from behind me. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of interesting. You know, as, you know, as a coyote hunter, we're always thinking about multiple coyotes, right? Um, what if I have a pair of coyotes come rolling in and I shoot that lead coyote or one of the two coyotes, you know, I'm hoping that the sound of the shot doesn't spook the second one off. And he gives me a, a good shot. I think that's a lot of people when it comes to using suppressors, I think that's their, that's their main thought process is, man, if I have a suppressor, I'm going to kill more multiple coyotes. And what I started realizing once I started using suppressors was yes. Um, you know, I, I did see that a lot, but I also saw it too before, before I ever started shooting suppress. And a lot of it had to do with, Using the e-call, you know, I've talked about this, blaring the e-call to, you know, mask the sound of the rifle. Um, but nowadays, shooting suppressed, the the meat report, the the impact of the bullet hitting the coyote is louder than the shot. And I think that's what usually spooks the second coyote, um, you know. So there's some thought there, okay, do I shoot the, sec the coyote, you know, deeper, farther out there so the lead coyote doesn't hear that as well? You know, there's some thought process there, you know, that we could debate about it another time. But, um, you know, the decibel reading is going to be great. And then on top of that, you know, you have just your hearing aspect, you know, shooting these, you know, 16, 18 inches ARs, you know, you know, if you don't have a suppressor, now you're out there wearing earplugs and different hearing protection, unless you have the high end hearing protection that that amplifies, you know, lower decibel sounds. You know, you're not going to be able to hear your partner talking to you. I mean, I still have guys come out to my schools and guided hunts that are wearing just old school hearing protection. And, you know, they're sitting 10 feet from me and a coyote's coming and I'm trying to get their attention and they can't hear me. Right. So that's not advantageous either. So not having to worry about using hearing protection is a huge part of it, too, um, because the communication factor is so important when you're out on coyote stands. Now, you know, Silencer Central came on board. Uh, to the podcast they've kind of taken the scene uh by storm here over the last year in the suppressor world because you know what they're doing is pretty revolutionary as far as getting your hands on suppressors you know back in 2008 i had to go through you know i had to find a local gun dealer um that that was a, a dealer for suppressors um, i had to order my suppressor they gave me the paperwork i had to run down to the you know, Walgreens and get the picture. Then I had to run over to the police station and pay to get fingerprints. And then I had to round all that up and take it back to them. And they mailed it in with a check to the ATF. And then I had to wait, you know, silence essentials made this so easy. Now you can do everything right off their website. Um, and, and with the, and the fact that, you know, silence essential has FFL licenses in every state where suppressors are legal, 
they can now mail you your suppressor right to your door. So you don't even have to worry about finding a dealer right there where you're at. They'll ship it right to you. Um, so I, I'm super excited to be part of this. You know, suppressors have always been a big part of what I do. You know, to me, they're kind of the on the cutting edge of things, right? You know, I've always been big on e-calls and AR-15s and suppressors. Um, so having them part of the team now is crazy cool. Um, I'm still waiting on my on my first one of them. Obviously, you know, they just jumped on board here earlier this spring. Um, so I, I haven't got my hands on on one of their suppressors yet, but I'm specifically waiting on uh, their Banish backcountry. And I'm excited about this one because, A, it's a 30 cal suppressor. Um, and like I said, that's what I use. And, and I told you I was going to talk about this here later, so let's do it right now. The reason I would go with a 30 cal suppressor is for this reason. You can only ever shoot one rifle, right? Um, and you may have some 22 caliber stuff, 223s, 22250s. You may have a 270 or 243. You may have something as big as a 300 wind mag. Well, with one suppressor, all you have to do is take all your rifles down and get them threaded, which is something that Silencer Central does as well. They, you can actually mail them in your barrel, and they'll thread it for you too. Uh, but you can also find a local gunsmith or, or something to do that. It's, it's fairly cheap to thread a barrel. You know, you're probably looking somewhere in the $80 range per gun uh, to get your barrel threaded. Um, but once you have all your barrels threaded, well, now I can use that one suppressor for every gun. Now, all all you have to do is unscrew the suppressor. Hey, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go coyote hunting. Um, I'm going to be shooting my uh, 22250. Boom, thread it on there. I go right. The main thing you have to have to to realize is that you need to sight in all those rifles with that suppressor on. So if you take them all out to the range, sight in my 22250 with a suppressor on it. I unscrew it. I put it on my 243. I sight in my 243 with my suppressor on it. Because obviously, if you unscrew your suppressor and shoot it unsuppressed, your point of impact will change pretty significantly in some cases. Um, you know, six, eight inches or more sometimes, you know, just from shooting, shooting with the suppressor threaded on or not threaded on. So, um, just make sure you dial in that rifle with that suppressor on there. But then, you know, every time you go, you can just swap your suppressors around, um, and you're ready to go. Now you have to worry a little bit about the thread pattern, right? Some of the smaller caliber rifles, like an AR-15 comes usually standard threaded, uh, with a half by 28, you know, they may have a, a flash hider, a flash suppressor threaded on there, um, if you get a 30 cal can, it'll be a 5 8 by 24 thread pattern on it. So all you have to do is buy like a, a 15, 20, $30 little thread adapter that essentially will be, you know, a female half inch um, onto a 5 8 male. And then you can just thread, you know, that that 30 cal suppressor right onto that that uh, half inch by 28 thread by using that adapter. So it makes it pretty simple. But, you know, back to this banished backcountry Um I'm excited about it because, A, it's a 30 cal can, so I'm going to be able to use it. But the crazy thing is the weight. Um, you know, this thing comes in at 7.8 ounces, which is pretty unheard of. I, I don't know. I, I got to doing a little bit of research on just some weights of some of the suppressors that I currently have from other manufacturers. Um, and a lot of you, you know, up to this point, everything I've shot has been a, a Gemtech Sandstorm, which I don't even think they make anymore, to be honest with you. Um, but it was made out of titanium. This was a 30 cal suppressor. I was just curious. So I looked up the weight on it and it was almost 13 and a half ounces for the sandstorm. So this, this banished backcountry is almost half the weight. So I am, I'm crazy excited to get this on my rifle. Um, a, it's going to cut down on some weight. I'm, you know, and for me, weight on a rifle is not a huge thing. Cause you know, when you have scopes and bipods and, and everything else on there, you know, it's, you know, I'm not uh, too worried about how much weight I'm packing in, to be honest with you. But, you know, I'm 
I'm curious to get this on there to see how my gun swings now. Um, you know, so that's what I'm excited to get, man. I, you guys will hear more about this. I should have it here, you know, hopefully by the end of the summer. And, uh, you know, so stay tuned. I'll, I'll be posting some stuff on my, uh, you know, Instagram stuff. I'll be talking about it more on podcasts once I get that. But, uh, you know, huge advantage to get suppressors. You know, go to the Silencer Central website. You can check it out. Uh, it'll walk you through just step-by-step step exactly, you know, what you need to do. They make it so easy. They'll even set up a gun trust for you if you want to do that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, huge advantage to suppressors. Um, at some point in the future, you know, I hope they'll get rid of this 200 tax stamp and then everybody can just buy them right at their, their gun store. Like you can, uh, you know, any other firearm, but, uh, but until then, you know, it's worth the time. I can tell you right now, it's worth the wait. It's worth the money. Most of you are probably sitting out there that haven't done it. That was your main thing. You're like, well, I don't really want to wait on the, you know, nine months. Well, if you'd have just done it right then and there, you'd have had it by now already. So quit waiting around, jump on the Silence Central website and, uh, you know, get your suppressor coming. Now, second question, talking a little bit about optics, you know, something I get tons of questions on, especially on the YouTube stuff. People asking, you know, exactly what that is, you know, and I don't spend a lot of time talking about that stuff or promoting it. I figure, you know, in this day and age, technology is right at people's fingertips. They can do a little Google research and find out pretty quickly what I'm using. But as far as optics goes, you know, I've shot a lot of different things over the years. Um, you know, I ran loopholes for a lot of years, you know, great optics, um, you know, and once I jumped on this podcast, um, Sig Sauer Optics was a big part of the Eastman family. So I was a little hesitant, um, you know, after shooting loop and I was shooting loopholes just because I liked loophole. Um, they were never a sponsor. Um, they never did anything for me on that side. I just shot them because I liked it. Right. Well, obviously when I, when you jump on, when you start a podcast like this, um, you know, it takes sponsorships. Well, Eastman's approached me and said, Hey, we have SIG optics, you know, sponsors, a lot of stuff, what we do with our TV show and everything else. Would you be interested in shooting what, what they have? And I said, well, yeah, I said, uh, you know, can I, can I get my hands on some stuff first to see if it's something that I would really like, you know, I did a little research. Uh, on the BDX system, um, which really intrigued me at the time, you know, back, back before that, you know, with the loophole, I was using the CDS dial, you know, just giving me, you know, a little more precision out there at those four five, 600 yard, you know, range tar targets, um, you know, on my AR, but you know, this BDX system seemed really cool, um, uh, more in line with the technology side of things that I, I tend to tend to stick to. Um, so, you know, they sent me a, a Sierra six BDX, um, and I've always liked magnification on my optics. Um, you know, I vote when I shot loopholes, I shot lots of magnification. So I, on the Sierra six BDX, I went with the five by 30 by 56. Now, some of you, and, and if you're wondering the Sierra six, that's what the six means. It's a six X mag, meaning a five to 30, six times the magnification range on that scope. Um, they do make a Sierra three, which is only three times. So you might have like a, a three by nine, you know, or a six to 18 on, on a Sierra six, but, uh, or a Sierra three, I mean, but I wanted a little bit more of that, that range magnification variance, you know? So I went with the six, it gave me a little bit of low end if I needed, even though I never really run my scope lower than about 10 or 11 power. Um, it gave me the high end that I wanted. Sometimes if I get a coyote sitting out there, you know, three, four, 500 yards. I do like to zoom it in a little bit. Some guys don't like to, cause obviously you can see every little bit. You can see your heartbeat in the damn scope sometimes, you know, when you zoom it in like that, but 
to me, it's a personal preference thing, you know, but, uh, and I don't mind it. And I, I like being able to, you know, see the coyotes smile when, when the bullet hits them kind of a deal. So, um, I got it, you know, glass wise, you know, I always try to compare apples to apples, you know, even when I was shooting loopholes, I was only shooting a VX three I, right. I was never shooting the VX sixes, uh, you know, even a VX five. I, I was never, you know, those were up in there two to $3,000 scopes. You know, I was running, you know, thousand dollar scopes, uh, $1,200 scopes right in that range. So, you know, so I was comparing apples to apples and, and from a glass standpoint, I thought, you know what, it's very comparable. Um, I could not tell the difference, you know, when I went out and looked through my loophole VX3i and looked through the Sierra 6, um, from a glass standpoint, I was like, you know what, very similar, not no significant difference, not enough where I'm going to tell it, tell any, one way or the other. So I said, boom, that's good. I like that. Um, I like the functionality of, of the SIG. Um, and, you know, I started looking at the BDX system and, um, you know, they sent me a pair you know, the Kilo 6K HD rangefinder binoculars. Um, and that has the BDX system in it that pairs up with your scope. And I'd always ran a pair of, of rangefinder binoculars, at least for about the last 10 or 12 years. And I'd run Bushnells. Um, they had, a, at the time, that was like the cheapest rangefinding binocular you could get. I wasn't so concerned with the glass because I'm just looking for moving coyotes, right? I'm not trying to count points on a mule deer at a thousand yards kind of a deal. So, I wasn't so concerned. I just wanted the range finding capabilities built into the binoculars just so I didn't have to carry a, carry a separate range finder and binoculars and just more crap. Um, so, you know, when I got my hands on these SIG, you know, Kilo 6K HD binos, I was like, wow, these are way better than than the Bushnells that I have. The range finder in them is, is phenomenal. I can shoot targets out there at like 4,000 yards, you know, way farther than I'd ever shoot. But, um, you know, funny story back in the day, I used to do some long range shooting, um, you know, after I got out of the Marine Corps and uh, I had a gun called a, a 338 edge and it was basically a 300 ultra mag necked out to a 338. And uh, we were shooting um, these big 300 grain Sierra match Kings. And I had a big night force scope on there back in the top, you know, back in the mid two thousands, Leica had about the best range finder out there and it had a hell of a time picking up an antelope out there at a thousand yards um, so usually you had to have some sort of bigger target to range off of. Um, you know, we actually went so, so far to buy a bar and Stroud, like artillery range finder off of eBay. It's like this old school. If you've never seen this thing, you got, I still have it. I had to post a story sometime on my Instagram page about it, but it's looks like a, it's this like three foot long tube with an eyepiece and it's got lenses coming out at each of the end, uh, each of the ends of the, of the tube. And you're looking through the eyepiece and rolling this thing and you're match, matching up reversed, magnification images inside of it and then you look over into the dial and it'll tell you how far it is in meters so this is actually what we use because you know the range finding technology was not very good back then but nowadays man i i almost wish i was still doing that because now um boy this this range finder i mean it'll pick up coyotes seven eight hundred thousand yards pretty easy um deer way farther than that you know cliff faces at four or five thousand yards i mean it's pretty wild but um, but anyway, um, so now, you know, I have the capabilities of pairing both of these up. Um, this BDX system is pretty simple. I think, you know, some guys have asked me about it. How how simple is it? You know, this is how it works. I basically downloaded the, the BDX app onto my phone. Um, it pairs up to your range find of binoculars, okay? And it walks you through all this. 
And I go in and I create a ballistic profile for the rifle I'm shooting. So for me, you know, I said, okay, out of my 18 inch Daniel Defense, my my muzzle velocity is like 3050. You know, I'm shooting the Hornady 53 grain V Max. I went onto their website. I got the ballistic coefficient. I put in an average temperature, an average elevation. Uh, I had to measure, you know, the center of my scope down to the center of my barrel. Entered that in. Um, there might've been a few other ones on there, but anyway, boom, I saved that profile. Well, now the, the Bluetooth signal sends that from my phone over to the range find of binoculars and it's stored in there. Now, all I do is I turn on the Bluetooth function on my scope and that data is transmitted from a binoculars over to the scope. So now on, on the reticle on that Sierra six scope, there is, I don't know, 142 little LED points on there, I think, or something. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. So now, essentially, if I'm going to take a long-range shot, I don't leave my BDX on my on my scope on all the time because the battery will run out. So what I'm going to do is this. If, if I have a coyote that checks up at 450 yards, all I do is reach over on the left of the scope, and I turn on the BDX, okay, which is essentially the same knob that lights up your reticle for you too. It'll, it'll light up the center of your reticle if you're shooting in low light or whatnot. So I flip that over on that basically turns on the Bluetooth function of my scope. As long as it takes me to move my hand from there to grab my range find of binoculars, pull them up and range on target. As you're ranging, you'll see a little Bluetooth icon come up um, on the screen of your binoculars. And that tells you that it's sending the signal to that scope. I simply put the rangefinder back down, pull my scope up, and the dot on the reticle is already lit up for the hold on that range for that target. Meaning, you know, somewhere down the line of that reticle, there'll, there'll be a red dot on there, and that'll be how high you have to aim above the target. Essentially, you're just putting the red dot right on the target, um, and it has already calculated all that for you. Now, you still have to guess for the wind. Even though there is – there is um, you can actually lo load these into your Kestrel and things like that for wind speed, and it'll actually give you a wind hold as well. I don't have time to do that, obviously, shooting coyotes. Um, I usually end up just having to guess on the wind, but at least my elevation is pretty right. Now, the cool part about this is probably with any turret scope, whether you're, whether you're dialing up for a turret, whether you're using a BDX system like this, is I can get in and manipulate it, right? So, um, for example, I get everything loaded in. You know, I go out to the range, I, I go to four and 500 yards. So I go to 400 yards and I use the, the binos, I shoot the range, the dot comes up on my reticle, I hold, boom. And let's say I'm consistently hitting a little low, okay, for whatever reason. Then I go to 500 yards and I'm consistently hitting low. I'm like, okay, I have to manipulate my data in the, in the app a little bit to get my, my holds right. So all I did then is I go back into the app. And if I'm consistently hitting low, that means I probably have too much muzzle velocity. Maybe it's not really 3050. Maybe it's less. So I go, I'll go in and I'll manipulate that, and maybe I'll I'll type in 2950 instead of 3050, and I'll resend that data to the rangefinder binoculars and recalculate everything up, and I'll shoot again. Well, now all of a sudden, boom! I'm hitting right where I'm aiming. Boom, boom, boom! I go to 500. Boom! It's hitting right where I'm aiming. Okay, so I had to manipulate a little bit, but now everything's right. So that's the great part about that that app is that you're able to manipulate the data a little bit to um, get it just perfect. And I even always had to do that too with my loophole dial, right? There's only one click, 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 click. It's never going to be exact. So sometimes 
I knew that, you know, my dial was dead on out to about 350. But as I got farther out, I always had to add on. I had to start adding on a couple extra clicks to make, you know, make it work. So, um, but that's the great thing about this app is I can get in and start manipulating the data and uh, the, the entry points and, and make it where you're going to hit targets. Um, you know, and the last part of optics is, is the red dot site that, it, that you'll see, you know, if you watch my videos, I talked about it quite a bit. This is a big question I get is, you know, what red dot site am I using? Um, and right now I got that Romeo three XL red dot. Um, and you know, it's pretty phenomenal. I like it because the screen size is big and that's important because, you know, you're trying to get a running coyote in this red dot screen at 20, 30 yards. You want a big screen, right? You want to be able to find coyotes in that. Um, you know, I go with a six MOA dot, you know, there's lots of options. You can go to three MOA dot. You might find an eight MOA dot. I think the only options they offered in this was a three MOA or a six MOA. I went with a bigger dot and here's why, you know, you want your eye to be able to find that dot fast. Um, so the bigger the dot, the better now shooting. If I'm trying to shoot precision at hundred yards with a red dot, I would go with the smallest dot possible, right? Because basically a three MOA dot at 100 yards will cover it up three inches of the target down there at hundred yards. A six MOA dot's going to cover up six inches of that target down there at hundred yards and so on and so forth. But when I'm shooting coyotes at, at let's just say 25 yards, a six MOA dot is only going to cover up an inch and a half roughly um, on that coyote. So it's not like the dot is completely covering the coyote. Right. Um, but you know, my eye is going to pick that up a little quicker and I'm going to be able to shoot it. Now, honestly, I don't on, I don't really use my red dot a whole lot anymore. Um, I've gotten good enough with the scope. You know, I keep my scope on about 10, 11, and I've, I've got to the point where I just shoot most of the running coyotes at the call just right in my scope, um, which for most guys, it's not going to work that way because obviously, you know, I get a lot of practice. Um, I do it a lot. But for the guys that just don't get a lot of work doing that, it's tough to get a running coyote in a scope, right? And that's why we go with the red dot. So, um, I get a lot of flack off the red dot, you know, Dustin Patterson has been on the show a lot. Some other buddies, you know, I don't miss coyotes very often over the years, but I have missed some of the closest coyotes trying to use my red dot. Um, and here's the reason why, you know, over the years I shot a lot of shotguns. Um, you know, I've shot trap, I shot waterfowl. Um, so I'm pretty handy with the shotgun as well. So just like shooting running coyotes in a rifle, you know, shooting, flying, moving object with a shotgun is kind of ingrained in my memory. It's just, it's just a natural instinct of how much lead you're going to put out there. Right. So when I first went from, you know, leaving the shotgun in the truck and putting a red dot on my gun, because I got tired of carrying both, um, a coyote would come running in close range and, you know, instinct takes over, right? Because it's like, well, here he is, you know, and you don't have time to really calculate and think. So what I found myself doing with this red dot is giving them shotgun leads with the red dot, you know, shotgun, what, 1300 feet per second. I was giving them a 1300 feet per second lead, but I was shooting a 3000 foot per second rifle. So I was shooting in front of coyotes and I just could not, you know, my, it was just so instinctual that I could not tell myself to do otherwise. So ultimately I ended up just going back, um, you know, mostly shotgun still. Um, but, uh, you know, I've just decided, you know what, I'm just going to shoot these running coyotes right in the scope instead of, uh, giving everybody ammunition to make fun of me for missing the, the close coyotes with the, with the red dot. So, um, but for the guy that does not shoot a whole lot, um, and doesn't want to pack in all the extra stuff, the red dot hundred percent is the way to go. Um, 
you know, so, so keep all that in mind. Uh, hopefully that answers a few of your questions when it comes to, you know, looking at some optics, looking at some things, you know, price range, you know, we're looking, you know, we're looking at 1500 bucks in there. Are there lots of great higher end options? Heck yeah. You know, if money is not an object to you, I probably would be going high end. Um, but for me, you know, this has always been a kind of where my budget always has been, um, you know, in that thousand dollar range, you know, if you're going to buy a rifle for $2,000, you know, you know, do you have to put a $2,000 scope in there? No, but I've always felt, yeah, let's at least put, you know, at least half into it or more. Um, you know, I think one of the worst things you can do is buy a $1,500 rifle and put a $300 scope on it, you know, spend a little bit of money on your optics, um, get some quality glass. Um, and another thing too, I found over the years with these optics is my truck or my gun gets bounced around in my truck for like five months straight. Like, um, you know, coyote hunt after coyote hunt after coyote hunt and i've never had to recite in any of my rifles never with my loopholes never with these sigs because i think it's a higher end scope it's made just a little bit better you know i talk to buddies that have you know some lower end scopes and it seems like they're constantly having to recite the rifles in because the smallest little bump or or whatever and their scopes off again you know so uh keep that in mind too when you're when you're looking at spending some money on a scope but hopefully that helps you out uh, if you're in the market for, uh, you know, putting on some new optics for this upcoming season. Hey guys, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I want to take a second to talk to you about Hornady ammunition. 10 bullets through one hole is the philosophy that brought Hornady from a two man operation in 1949 to a world leading innovator of bullet ammunition, reloading tool and accessory design and manufacture today. So whether I'm blasting coyotes with my AR-15 and those 53-grain VMAX Superformance rounds or shotgunning coyotes with the 3-inch nickel-plated BB, you won't find anything that's more accurate, deadly, or dependable to use on coyotes. So if you're in the market to test out some new rounds through your rifle or shotgun, visit Hornady.com to find the nearest dealer today. Now, back to the podcast. Next question. How important is a bipod for hunting coyotes? It's pretty pretty vague question, but I'm gonna. It's it's extremely important, right? Um, using any kind of rest when shooting coyotes is important. Um, coyotes in general, you know, and I'm not just saying this to make myself feel better, but I've shot pretty much all there is to shoot. Um, you know, big game, small game, birds, you name it, and coyotes are the hardest thing to shoot. And there's several reasons that a, they're just a small target in general, right? You're looking at like a, a, maybe an eight inch kill zone total. Um, the second part about this that makes coyote shooting so tough is that a coyotes don't stand there for five minutes. Like a deer does, you know, they're not, they're not giving you the perfect shot all the time. Um, so a lot of your shots are very quick. You don't have time, um, to sit around and think and wait because the coyote's gone you know he's going to give you one good shot he might give you two good shots and then he's out of there this the second part about that is um coyote when you're calling coyotes sometimes coyotes just show up <laughs> they may come from a hard right hard left you have to make a quick move on your rifle to even get a shot at him you know let's face it you're putting a stock on an antelope or a deer or an elk or you're sitting in this tree stand or you're turkey hunting or whatever you're hunting Pretty much everything else, you're going to have time. Oh, here they come. Oh, here they And you're going to have time to get ready. Or you stock into position and you have time to get in the prone and take five extra breaths and, and do everything that you need to do to make a good shot on that. <laughs> Coyotes, every, it, it's out the window, man. You know, 
I laugh. I have some pretty funny stories about guys just missing coyotes over the years, and they can't believe how they're missing coyotes. You know, guys that come out and they tell talk about, oh, how they've killed this and they've killed that and they've shot these animals at these ranges and this and that and blah, 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 blah. And then the first coyote comes running in and stops at 100 yards and they send a bullet a foot over its back and they're just baffled, you know. And then we have to go sight in their rifle. And, of course, it's hitting right where it's supposed to be and they don't believe it. I've had guys that have actually sighted in their rifle three different times throughout the day after they had missed coyotes because they just could not believe that they were missing coyotes. Um, and a lot of it had to do with the excitement, how fast it is. But a big part of that is your rest. You know, what are you what are you using to help stabilize yourself? Um, you know, so, you know, the swagger bipod is one of those things that for me has changed the game. You know, I shot a, a Harris bipod for a lot of years. There were some downsides to that. It, the legs never got long enough for sitting on side hills. Um, and I sit on a lot of side hills. So I would always have to carry in a set of shooting sticks. So it was one more thing I had to carry in and mess with. You know, when when the Hunter 42s came out, I thought, this solves everything. Um, now only I have a system that, that's connected to my rifle. So it's very similar to a Harris bipod, but it gives me the longer legs for those side hill sits. And it gives me a lot more flexibility when I have to move because that's the key sooner. Very rarely. If you've hunted coyotes long enough, very rarely does a coyote show up right where we think they're going to show up. You are going to have to move at some point. Um, and, and that's really where the swagger comes in where where it shines when you're able to pick up and move. Um, now a big part of that is practice. Uh, you know, I see this a lot when guys come out to my schools, you know, a lot of them are fairly new to coyote hunting and they look at, Oh, Jeff shooting a, a swagger. 142 that's what i need so they buy one a month before they come out on their hunt for the class they put it on their rifle and they've never used it before and then they get out here and part of the class is you know we go out to the range and we do a little bit of shooting but i mean we're out there for like an hour right we're not practicing for shot after shot after shot so i show them a few little tricks and things of how i manipulate that bipod a little bit to to get on target quicker um but then when the, when the real things happen right you revert back to your training and if you haven't spent the time out on the range using your swagger, you're going to fumble with it. And pretty soon, then you start panicking, and then the coyote's on the move, and then you panic anymore, and then you rush a shot, and then the coyote runs off, right? Or in some cases, I get to shoot it running off, and then I get to make fun of the guy for the rest of the day because he missed the coyote, right? <laughs> but so, you know, you got to use it, whatever you're going to use. You know, I do have a lot of guys that come out and use a tripod system. Hands down, there's probably nothing better than these tripods. I mean, most of the night hunters now are all using them. You know, whether you got the Swiss Arc amount, that seems to be the most popular where you just lock it right in and, and here you go. For daytime hunting, though, you know, like I said, A, where I hunt throughout most of the season, we're sitting on some sort of slope, some sort of train, right? So picking up a three-legged bipod and having to move it, you know, let's let's look at a stand, right? When I when I put a, a tripod down beside me and get everything locked into place. Yeah. It's like my gun's just sitting on a bench waiting for the coyote to show up, which makes it nice. But realistically, I can, I can scan that gun maybe 60 degrees before I'm going to have to move my entire body, either shift it around the tripod or pick the tripod up and try to have to move it. Now, anytime you have to start picking up a tripod, now you're trying to get three legs stuck into the ground and trying to get things back somewhat level before you shoot, um, you know, which requires lots of practice and, and getting used to um, versus a swagger. I'm dealing with two legs, 
Um, you know, and it's a lot quicker and more efficient to get two legs stuck in the ground um, and, you know, move from there. So both systems are great. You know, obviously the tripod system is going to be heavier. You're going to be carrying in this tripod in and out throughout the day. Uh, you know, whether it's a fat boy tripod that's super light, it's still bulky, right? Um, you know, going to a, a, a swagger bipod system to me is the way to go because a, it connects to your rifle. So it leaves me hands free. Um, you know, I can, I, I crack jokes sometimes if I'm watching videos or I'm watching things, if guys are carrying in a lot of stuff on stand, meaning they got a chair packed under one arm, they're carrying a, a set of shooting sticks or tripod in the other hand, they got their rifle slung over the call. They got their call in the other, you know, I'm like, those guys don't kill very many coyotes because if they had to carry all that crap back and drag a coyote or two, you know, a lot throughout the day, they would figure out a better system, right? And that's essentially where we came. I'm like, man, we're we're crossing fences. We're dragging coyotes back. I need to be hands-free. So as much stuff as I can attach to my rifle that I can sling on my back, I need both of my hands free to to get in and out of stands. And that's what the, that's what the the swagger does. It allows me to hook to my rifle, get everything out of it's on there, off I go, um, and I'm ready once I get to the stand. But big thing there. Um, you know, and one thing I might, a question I get too, is what's the difference between the Hunter 29 and the Hunter 42? That is essentially the length of the leg, right? I've always went with the 42 because I wanted the longer leg for the, the side hill stands, you know, sitting on the edge of a Canyon or whatever it may be. Um, if you're more of a person that never is ever on any train, you're always sitting on flat ground. The Hunter 29 is going to be long enough, but at the same case, I can make the 42 29 inches or 26 inches i can adjust it to whatever height i want so in the long run i would just spend the money and buy the 142 then if you do ever happen to get in a situation where you wanted a longer leg you have it you can always keep them short um, but it's nice to have when when you want that length um, but you know you can go to the swagger you know bipods website look what they got the qd one if you watch any of the videos rick shoots the qd which I, I am around some guys that like that QD. To me, that's more the the guys that like the old school uh, shooting sticks. Um, so they want something. They don't want something attached to their rifle, and that's what that QD gives you. It still gives you all the same functionality as the the Hunter Forty Two with the adjustable legs, uh, the springs there to to help your maneuverability and swinging on targets and and getting on targets quicker. But it just quick detaches from your rifle comes with a little Picatinny rail that'll hook up by your swivel stud and it just clips onto there. And then when you're getting ready to, to head back off the stand, you just unclip it and then you just carry your, your set of swagger QDs in your one hand and you can sl sling your rifle normal. Um, but uh, like I said, Rick likes to do that. Um, and, and another question I get based off of those QDs is you'll see the springs are exposed. So on the 142, or the 129, there's a button on the very front of the bipod. When you got the legs extended, you can push the button, and the springs will suck up into the into the plastic housing, which will help stabilize things a little bit. It won't be so flimsy because now the weight's not all on the springs; it's it's up into the into the plastic housing. Well, on the QDs, it doesn't have that option. It's just basically you're on the springs. Well, they are. Some may think they're a little flimsy meaning your gun's kind of flopping left to right. It's hard to keep it a little stable. So what Rick actually did is he went down to his automotive shop and he bought some some shrink tubing, something that you maybe shrink cables, you know, battery cables with to suck them all together. Uh, he just cut off a couple 
you know, two inch chunks, slid them up over the leg, over those springs, and then took his lighter to it. And then that heat shrink stuff, you know, sucks up around those springs and it stiffened them up. Not enough where you, you lose your flexibility and mobility, but it stiffened them up now where, you know, your straight up shots, um, your, your gun's not going to feel so wobbly on top of those cuties. So just a little tip there, you know, if you are running one of those QD systems, uh, something that you can do to help stiffen them up just a little bit. So, um, if you go to the, uh, the swagger bipods, like I said, you can always enter, you know, coyote craze 25 as your promo code and that'll give you 25% off. Um, but, uh, you know, right now, if you, if you're not using a swagger system and it's what you want to use, I would jump on it right now here in the middle of the summer, get it, start shooting with it over the next three months, you know, practice maneuvering it, practice working with it. Um, because that's, that's the main part to any bipod system is, is using it, how you're going to, you know, play with it once, uh, you know, the season gets here. I've got time for a couple more questions here. Um, last one, what pants are you using for the extreme cold? You know, kind of a vague question, but it's a good one. You know, clothing is something when it comes to coyote hunting, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things to me, gearing up clothes wise for coyote hunting is probably the toughest thing to do because, you know, if you're like me, you're hunting coyotes for an entire day, right? So we're out there at sunup, we're hunting right through the middle part of the day and then boom, the sun drops and, and we're hunting till dark. So you get these massive temperature swings, you know, sometimes in the winter, we may have a 50 degree temperature swing from, from the first stand of the morning to the middle part of the day. Then obviously once you get back towards the end part of the day, the temperature is dropping again. You know, you're dealing with wind um, on top of that first part of the morning. You might not have wind. You're hunting during the middle of the day. Now, all of a sudden you're dealing with wind um, walking, right? You know, we're walking in and out of stand, in and out of stand all day long. And then they're sitting right on top of that. We're sitting for 10, 12, 15 minutes a pop, 16, 18, 20 times a day. And then on top of that, we're sitting in the car or the truck, you know, for five, 10 minutes a pop in between those stands. So, you know, you're in the warm truck, you're walking. Now we're sitting out in the cold. Now we're walking back. Now we're sitting in the warm truck. Now we're walking again. Now we're sitting in the cold and it's just constant all day long. So you're never going to be 100% comfortable. I've always been into layering. Um, you know, I can, I can layer on as much stuff as I need. First stand of the morning. As soon as the sun comes up, I can start shedding layers. Um, you know, you know, once again, Cryptek came on board with the, with the podcast. Before then, I had just mixed and matched, used, used a lot of different things, never, ever had a, a real camo sponsor or clothing sponsor. I was just using what I thought was best and um, what worked best for that layering stuff that I have, you know. Um, a handful of years back, I, I got rid of wearing just the camo pants. Um, you know, I'm a little on the husky side with the waist and, you know, regular pants and things don't fit me great. And that's what I was finding with a lot of the camo pants I tried to buy. They were more of a slimmer cut. You know, they didn't fit over my hips as good. It was not tight. So I was finding me just some work pants, you know, tan work pants um, that had a little more elastic in the waist and, you know, were made of a good material that weren't, weren't getting shredded on fences. Um, I found me a pair that actually have insulation, a fleece liner in them, you know, so I can wear those on the days that it's a little warmer, but even, or a little colder, but even then it's not, it's not everything. So I like to wear a pair of over pants as well. Um, so if you watch my videos, um, things like that, you know, Cryptek does make a pair 
uh, they're called the Sentinel pant in highlight. They're like a, um, uh, what's the word everybody uses here? The puffy pants, right? They got the down in them. Um, and they're great. They, the, the great part about them is, is a, they're in the Highlander pattern, which I really love for coyote hunting. Um, but they have a, a three quarter leg zipper on them, right? They're not the bibs. They're just the pants. So I can, I can take them on and off in two seconds. I can just throw them over my other pants for those first three or four stands of the morning. Um, you know, maybe it's cold all day. Maybe I'll leave them on all day, but Hey, um, as, as the day warms up, I just zip up the leg. I throw them in my tote and off we go. Um, you know, I tried the bibs, you know, they make a, if you're into bibs, the, uh, the Aegis bibs, I think it's A E G I S is how they, how they spell it. Um, I have a pair of those. I've just never been a big fan of the bibs, you know, because now I got to take off my coats. I got to take off all my layers to get the bib part off. Um, you know, and sh that's why I've always liked the pants with the full leg zipper as opposed to the bibs. But, um, if you're a bib guy, you know, these, they're as well made as anything out there. Um, like I said, I'm just not a bib guy. Um, so, so I've always went with the Sentinel pant, um, the puffy pants, the, the bad part about the puffy pants is they do get ripped up on the fences pretty, pretty easily. So I have to be a little more careful, uh, going up and over fences and things like that. Um, but, uh, but that poofiness that down inside of there i don't even know if that's what it is for sure but um they're warm and they're comfortable and i can get them on and off uh, but biggest thing with clothing man you you just got to know where you're hunting um understand that you know that you are going to be walking we're only going to be sitting there for 10 or 12 15 minutes and then we're going to be heading back um but yeah you know the and if you go to the cryptic side, they got other pants too. Maybe you're the type of guy that likes wearing the the normal pants, right? They got a ton of different styles of those type of pants too. Um, you know, more of the warm weather stuff, um, you know, waterproof stuff, everything along those lines. So um, they actually just redid their whole website. So if you can go to cryptech.com, you can you can check all that out too um, and check it out. But um, so yeah, you'll see me, you'll see on videos, you'll, you might be wondering, Hey, what are just those khaki pants? Like I said, those are just some, some work pants, just, you know, no name brand I get, um, you know, that I wear, but when you see me wearing the poofy pants, uh, you'll know that's those Sentinel pants, with that three quarter zipper. Um, and, uh, it's usually have to be pretty cold for me to put those on, but hopefully that gives you a little insight on to, to what I'm wearing as far as pants, clothing, layering is the key. That's for sure. Uh, next question. Are the high end e-calls really worth the money? This is a good question. You know, I, this is something that I get a lot, you know, this deals with budgets, you know, how much are you going to be hunting coyotes? Um, if there was one piece of coyote equipment that was necessary, you know, necessary to me, it's the e-call, right? Like that's where it all starts. Like, um, no matter what gun you have, what scope you have, what suppressor you have, what bipods you have. If you can't call in a coyote to begin with, uh, you don't need any of that, right? Um, so to me, it all starts with the e-call. And, you know, let's just take a look at the Lucky Duck line of predator calls, right? You have the low-end Rebel, you know, all the way up to the, the all-new Super Revolt that just launched this past season. Um, and you have options in between. Now, I've been fortunate enough to work with Lucky Duck, you know, over the last five or six years, you know, helping, you know, with Rick and the whole crew there, you know, developing these e-calls and things like that. Um, and and what you get now is you have basically a call within every price point, right? 
um, you know, when the when the Roughneck was released, it wasn't designed to replace the Revolt. It was just another option for guys that wanted wanted something a little bit different. When the Super Revolt was released, it wasn't designed to replace the Revolt or the Roughneck. It was just another line of calls um, or another call added to the line that gave guys more options. Um, first thing I usually do is I ask people is like, what's your budget, right? Like, um, do you only have $250 to spend or could you spend $700? Um, you know, if you thought it was going to be worth it. Um, most guys could probably say, yeah, if it's worth it, I'll probably spend the $700 if, if it's going to be worth it. The second question I ask guys is how much are you going to be using your e-call? Are you going to go hunt coyotes three times a winter or 30 times a winter? Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not going to hunt coyotes a whole lot, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need that. Maybe you go with a lower end revolt. Maybe you go with that, that riot even, you know, in that $300 range, um, something that's still going to give you the the great sound quality. Um, just not as many sounds, maybe not as more, you know, the powerful speaker, the better remote. Maybe I don't need all that. I'm only going to do it three, four times a winter, but if you're going to get serious about it, uh, I mean, there's a reason I run the high end calls, right? Because this is what I do. I want the best out there. I want all the options that I can possibly imagine on these calls. I want the ability to spin the call. I want the better remote. I want the backlit buttons. Um, you know, I want it all. And you know, that's what you get on those higher end calls. So for example, let's just take, let's just take the revolt versus the super revolt. Okay. Essentially it's the same call. Um, would, there was just some added features to that, which, you know, increased the price by about 250 bucks. Okay. So if you look at the revolt, one of the biggest selling points on the revolt is the ability to spin the call left and right. Huge advantage, right? So when the super revolt was developed, we wanted the ability to still spin the call, the call in between the roughneck, it does not have the ability to spin. It's essentially for the guys that wanted an upgraded remote, one of the backlit buttons, one of the sound quality and the same speaker, the same amp, but they didn't care about the spinning. They didn't care about the decoy. All right. They probably essentially more of a night hunting call. Um, if there is such a thing, right. But when you go back to the revolt or the super revolt, we still wanted that to have that because we had guys that said, Hey, you know, I really wish I could have the remote on the rough neck, but I want the revolt with the spinning. Well, you couldn't get both. Right. So we start, jotting things down okay well, what do we want on the super volt basically the super volt has every option that you could possibly imagine on it um so if you if you look at the remote for the revolt the upgrade is the remote on the super revolt right essentially the same remote that you find on the roughneck as well just a bigger screen backlit buttons better buttons um it's a little bit bigger like i said um you know other than that it's it's really similar okay so you get that upgrade um Another thing is the durability of the call, right? All these e-calls are made out of plastic, okay? There's no way around that, right? Um, it, that has a lot to do with the sound quality that comes out. If you make if you make them out of metal and things like that, the sound quality would change what you'd get out of it. Um, and obviously, you know, when when call manufacturers are making calls, you know, they're they're trying to keep the consumer and hey, what are these guys going to spend, right? They're not going to spend fifteen hundred dollars on a call that we made out of titanium or carbon or something like that. So obviously plastic is is the cheaper route. So 
when it came to durability, we thought, okay, let's let's see what we can do to beef this call up a little bit, you know, because, you know, I've seen some pictures. You guys are pretty tough on calls. I'm tough on calls. You know, they get dropped. Uh, guys run them over. Calls get shot, which, you know, obviously that's nothing to do, nothing to protect against that. But, um, you know, we're hard on this stuff. So, you know, that's that's why on the new Supervolt that has this kind of this rubber overmold everything over the entire call to help protect it. If you drop it, you know, it gets slammed against a tree, a fence post, whatever. Um, it's it's going to be more durable. It's going to hold up. So that was an added feature there. Um, it still has the same decoy. Uh, changed the decoy just a little bit. It's a little bit longer. Um, but uh, yeah. Then the second thing was the number of sounds. Um, you know, I've told this before. I, it, Rick would probably get mad at me, but I probably use about 12 sounds 99% of the time. Right. But I talk to a lot of guys that have lots and lots of sounds on their call um, that want those options. Right. So, you know, the revolt comes with 100 sounds. Super Revolt comes with 200 sounds. So um, right there, just in, in money alone, if you went and bought 100 extra sounds off of Rick's website or the Lucky Duck website, you'd spend a couple hundred bucks easy buying those extra sounds. Well, the Super Bowl already comes with with those 200 sounds. So that's a huge bonus. The last piece of that is is the lithium-ion battery pack in the wall charger. Now, a normal Revolt does not come with that. So if you want the lithium-ion battery pack, you got to spend the extra 100 bucks to buy the battery pack um, and, and the wall charger, which is a huge advantage. If you're not running the lithium pack, I would do it in a heartbeat. You know, you're if you're running normal double A's, you're going to run through 10 double A's, probably in a day of hunting, boom. Right now, what, 10 double A's? I don't even know what they cost, like 15 bucks. So essentially... In about seven days of hunting, you're going to burn through $100 worth of AA batteries, unless you have rechargeables or whatever. But I'm talking about just going to the store, buying packs of batteries to put in your in your call. You're going to spend 100 bucks in about you know, a season or half a season or a quarter of a season, depending on how much you hunt coyotes, right? So, A, the lithium battery pack will pay for itself tenfold by the time you're all said and done. The second thing about lithium batteries is the performance level stays peaked. With your alkaline batteries you're buying, as you're using it, as the batteries start to drain, the performance goes down, right? And then until it just finally dribbles out at the very end. A lithium battery will stay at max performance all the way till 1%, and then boom, it drops all the way down to zero. You never lose any performance there. So you'll see greater performance in cold weather. You know, you guys that are north that are using these calls at night where it's, you know, negative temperatures a lot, you'll get better performance running those lithium battery packs. Um, and then a Another side thing that you don't have to think about, if you're constantly opening that battery compartment, pulling out that bird cage and, you know, replacing double A's, you're creating, you know, torque and, uh, you know, damage to those wires. You know, those wires are small. They're not made to, to you know, get through, run through the ringer every time you're doing that. So sooner or later, those wires are going to break on you. Uh, you're going to have to send it into Lucky Duck. They're going to have to replace that for you. Where when you put a lithium-ion battery pack in there, you one time you pop it off, connect it, put the battery cover on, and boom, you never have to touch that again, which is going to save the wear and tear on your wiring harness that are hooking into your batteries. And then all you do at that point is I just set my call on the counter, plug the charger into the wall, plug it into the back of the call, and I sit there until the, until the light turns green. And then the crazy thing, what people don't realize about that, even using that like a, a, a super revolt, or revolt where I'm constantly revolving the call left and right. I'm running the decoy. I'm max volume in that sucker. I can run that call for two full days of hunting 
And that's two full days of my hunting. We're talking 18, 20 stands, um, you know, 11, 12 hours of hunting, you know, blaring the call, moving it left and right. Um, you know, you're not, you can't imagine getting that out of double A. So like I said, you know, that lithium automatic. So that's what you get with the super revolt. It actually comes with the lithium battery pack and the wall charger with it. So really when you look at it, when you look at the added sounds and the lithium battery pack, that's well over $200 right there. Um, which is about the price difference between the two. Plus then I'm getting the, the covering, I'm getting the upgraded remote. Um, so for me, that's a steal, right? Like that's, that's what I'll run. I'll run the super revolt, um, and, uh, and make it work. So my answer is yes. Yes. The high end e-calls are worth the money. Um, but ultimately it's like anything else, right? Can my budget afford it? And am I going to use it enough to probably see the benefits of it? And if both of those questions are yes, I would spend the money. And that call last year, you know, even if you're not using your call, maybe eight, 10 times a winter, a call like that will last you for years, right? Um, as long as you take care of it, store it right, um, you know, don't beat it up and things like that. I mean, you'll have that call for for lots of years until, you know, hopefully in, in the next three or four, there's something new or better, greater that uh, you want to spend your money on. So, so yes, for sure. The high-end e-calls are really worth the money. And like every, everything I talked about, you can just go to the Lucky Duck website, which is luckyduck.com, and, uh, and you can see uh, you know, all those options to compare and, and go from there. Well, last question here, and then I'm gonna jump off here. Um, this one kind of a new one to me, but, but I get lots of questions about it is the thermal game. And this question is I'm looking at getting into the thermal game. What do you think is the best route to go? Well, out of all the things coyote hunting, probably thermal is probably what I consider myself the least, um, informed on just because it's something pretty new to me, even, you know, I've, I've been, I've had thermal for a handful of years. I do it, you know, out of, you know, if I, let's just say, if I get to hunt coyotes, 65, 70 days a winter, I might thermal hunt five nights, you know? So it's a very low percentage of what I do. Um, but you know, I've been around long enough. I, I know lots of guys, uh, that have, that are huge into the thermal. So I get to pick their brains about things and what they like. Um, you know, the game's changing fast with the thermal. It seems like, you know, the quality is getting better. The prices are kind of dropping now. You're getting more competitors in, in, entering the market, which is all great for us as consumers. Um, Pulsar came on board towards the end of our of our season last year for the last stand that we were filming. Um, so I've always been a kind of a big fan of there, but I got finally got a chance to really check out a lot of what they have to offer. Um, and after running Trigicons, um, so full moon optics, uh, you know, have been around Envisions and, uh, just with the clientele and the, the buddies I got, I've seen them all. Um, for me, the way I thermal hunt, the pulsar options are right where they need to be. And, and here's why a, the new, the new pulsar scopes, like I, I shoot the XP 50 pro LRF, right. And this thing looks like a daytime rifle scope which is awesome to me because I'm like, as I'm a daytime hunter, right. Just trying to dabble in the night hunting now every now and then. So I can mount it with my same mounts that I would mount day scopes, which is easier for me to get it sighted in and things like that. Plus it looks like a normal daytime scope on there. Now the image quality is crazy good on these. Um, you know, the base magnification on that, on that XP 50 is only two, which that's the biggest challenge for me as a daytime hunter. Like I said, I run around with my daytime scope at 10 all the time, start dealing with the thermal, you know, these, these base magnifications are two 
you know, if you go with the XG50, it's a base three. That's that's what I want to upgrade to and eventually get to just to get a little bit more magnification because ultimately my goal is I want sight pictures to look the same at night as they do in the daytime, right? Then all my instinctual shooting, running coyotes and things like that will will be more in line instead of night when I'm trying to shoot a running coyote on two power, you know, the the instinctual leads and things that I have just are a little off. So, um, you know, some of the options... So, so let's back up a little bit. I kind of got ahead of myself there. There, there's several different trains of thought, right? So right now, do you have enough money to buy both a scope and a scanner, right? That's kind of the terminology that people use. And what I mean by scanner is a little, little monocular that, you know, you can just hang off your neck. So when you have your rifle with your scope locked into your tripod or whatever you're shooting off of, I don't have to sit there and constantly swing my gun left and right, left and right. I'll stand long for coyotes. I can just lock my gun in that, that has its own thermal on top of it. And then I have my scanner that I'm scanning with. And as soon as I see a coyote, well, now I can drop my scanner, get on my gun, swing over and, and run my thermal on my gun until I shoot the coyote. That seems to be the norm. What, what works best. That's what I like best. Um, Obviously, it just costs more money, right? Now we got to buy an extra thermal to scan with, um, you know. So, you know, I I got a chance. Rick had a pair of the Merger um, LRF Pulsar binos. Um, before that, he actually had a pair of Pulsar Accolade two binoculars. Um, some of the last stand stuff that we filmed over the last couple of years, thermal episodes, were all filmed with those with those binos. Um, to me, that's great. I mean. Hands down, if you can spend the money, I would buy a pair of binoculars over a monocular any day of the week for thermal. It's just the difference between looking like, explain like this. When you put a monocular up to your one eye, it's like you're looking through, a, it'd be like watching TV on a on a 22-inch TV, right? And then when you put the binoculars up to your face, it's like watching TV on a 72-inch TV, right? Like, the the field of view just seems so much more massive. Um, your eyes aren't strained as much. Um, God, it's just it's incredible. So you know, obviously, it costs more money. You know, those those merger binos are you know six to eight thousand bucks, and you know they have a new one out the the XL fifty, which is the the ten twenty four resolution, not the six forty, um, which is kind of the next line of of thermals that are coming down. You know, HD kind of stuff where you can zoom in and you don't lose uh, you know, all the clarity and pixelation that you do in some of the stuff right now, but pretty phenomenal right now. I'm just carrying a pair of binoculars on my chest. I hook them into a bino harness, just like I do in the daytime. And then I can scan with those. Hey, here comes a coyote. I just drop them down on my chest, swing over to my rifle and I shoot. Um, so that's kind of the system that people are using. The toughest part, I mean, that's a lot of money, right? You drop five, six grand on a scope, drop another five, six grand on a, on a spotter, before you know it, you're wrapped. You got a lot of money wrapped up into this stuff. So um, maybe that's not for you. Are there some lower end versions? I'm sure there's some great stuff. Spotting, you know, some scanners and things like that. You know, you can get stuff down thousand, two thousand dollars. This is what I've learned. I've seen it all. Right. You definitely get what you pay for 100% with thermal. Right. There's a reason all those thermal scopes are fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars. Right. The the processors, the clarity, everything's just not as good as a, a six thousand dollar thermal. Really, what's that mean, though, right? All of them are going to pick up heat signatures. Uh, you're going to see stuff out there. Oh, what is that? But here's the key. That's exactly what you're going to be saying to yourself. What is that, right? Is that a deer? 
at 200 yards? Is that a rabbit at 50 yards? Is that a coyote at 100 yards? You're not going to have a clue what it is. You're going to see it, but you're not going to have a clue what it is. So I think what some guys do too is they 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 have a scanner, maybe don't spend as much money on it. They buy a better rifle scope to mount on their gun, and then if they see something, they can switch over to their better rifle scope and be like, oh, nope, that is just a rabbit or that is a deer. Oh, oh yeah, that is a coyote. Here it comes, right? Um, so I think that's the key there is, you know, what can you spend? What can you do? You know, and a lot of us are hunting with buddies too, right? So you may only have a, a rifle scope, but your buddy may have a scanner and a scope or another buddy comes and he may only has a scanner. And before you know it, you got a little team going there of, of scanners and, and scopes and, and everybody, you know, everybody has a little job and you can get it all covered there. So, um, me personally, my preference is to have a scanner. Um, if money was no object, I'll tell you right now, I would have the merger XL fifties around my neck and I would have the, the Thermion XP or XG 50 pro, just because it's the base three. I like a little more magnification with the built-in laser rangefinder on it, on my rifle. That's what I would go. That would, I'd be, sitting me back about 15,000 or so. Um, but if money was an object, that's exactly what I'd be shooting right now um, on my thermal setups. Uh, and hopefully next year, maybe you'll see that uh, when we get, get, get in a little, a little deeper here with Pulsar and we get to working a little bit more with them. Uh, maybe I'll get my hands on some of that stuff and can really showcase that to you guys, guys there. But another cool thing about this is the battery options. These are getting way better. Back when I first started thermal, you know, even just three, four years ago, the batteries were really weird. Like, you know, some take this battery, some take that battery. You could hook external battery packs into some. What I really like about, about all these new Pulsar Thermion 2 products is they all run the same battery. So I can buy extra batteries and I can have in the, in the bat, they have an internal battery as well as this external battery. So just on that scope, I was running last year, that, that XP 50 pro um, between the internal and the external battery, I would, I could almost hunt the entire night without needing to switch it out. I did have another external battery in my pocket and I would swap it out. Um, but other than that, man, that thing would last all night long, which was crazy to me. Um, after running like a Trijicon and things like that with the normal CR one, two, threes and stuff like that. And I'd go through a whole handful, um, at, at night with, with one of those. So great option there, but, uh, yeah, thermal, once again, just like a lot of things we talked about in this podcast, you know, what can I afford? Um, you know, versus how much am I going to use it? Um, but you really do get what you pay for when it comes to thermal. And uh, hopefully you'll see a lot more of us highlighting that. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to be a, a more of a thermal hunter in the future. I'm going to use it as a specific tool here and there to go kill some coyotes. Um, but uh, but for me, it's still, still about the daytime stuff. But um, hopefully that helps you. You know, you can jump on a Pulsar's website. You can uh, look at that stuff that I talked about if you're kind of in the game, but lots of good products out there, man. Like I said, competition is key for us. Uh, these guys are all going at it, trying to, trying to develop the best products out there at a lower price. So we'll all be beneficial to us, you know, in the long run. So, well, that's going to wrap it up. Uh, hopefully that answered some of your questions. Hopefully it wasn't too boring sitting here, listening to all this jarble about equipment and things like that. But now it gives me something to, if somebody sends me a, a question about equipment, I can send them right to this podcast and say, Hey, just take a listen to this. Hopefully that'll answer all your questions. So once again, I want to thank you guys for listening uh, and making this the number one predator hang podcast out there. Hang in there. I'm uh, I'm grinding through the midsummer heat right now. Thunderstorms, hail, tornadoes, you name it. We've had it all so far this summer, uh, trying to get through the baseball season. Uh, but here in the next month or so, you know, I'll be regrouping, 
you know, got a whole bunch of uh, podcasts, you know, lined up guys coming on board. Uh, so, so stay tuned for some great stuff coming up this fall and winter. Um, but uh, you know, once again, I want to thank you guys for listening. If you love what you listen to jump onto the Spotify um, app there, give it a five-star rating, iTunes, whatever it may be. Those ratings go a long way. I uh, really appreciate it at this point, uh, what you guys, the support you guys have given this podcast. If you want any more information about myself, um, I will be releasing dates uh, for my upcoming Coyote Craze College classes coming up later this fall and winter. I'll release those dates on my website in August. Um, so if you're interested in that, jump on my website, which is coyotecraze.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter there, and then everybody on that newsletter will get first notification uh, once those class dates are are released. Those dates are all first come, first serve. So last year, everything booked up in about eight hours, so I'm sure it won't take long. i got some new stuff coming down the line, too. Um, going to be looking at doing some online seminar stuff this this winter, um, kind of like some Zoom stuff for some small groups and things like that. But uh, all that information is going to be found on my website. Uh, so be sure and check that out. But before we get out of here, got to thank all the sponsors that make this possible. Lucky Duck Predator Calls, Onyx Hunt, Cryptech, Black Rifle Coffee Company, Silencer Central, Swagger Bipods, Hornady, and Sig Sauer Optics. And of course, the old Eastman's family for bringing this all to you guys. Couldn't do it without them. So you can head over to their website, which is eastmans.com, to check out everything they have going on uh, during the offseason here, getting you guys ready for your big game shooting coming up later this fall. But that's all I have for today. So until next time, thanks for listening. We'll catch you right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast.